0: Girls5eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for outstanding comedy series and all other eligible categories. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 243rd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the most revered character actresses in the business a three-time BAFTA Award winner, a Golden Globe Award winner, and an Emmy Award nominee who made her name in a wide variety of British projects on screens big and small. Among them, Peep Show, Tyrannosaur, Broadchurch, 2012, Accused, The Lobster, Rev, and The Night Manager, and who is now garnering the best reviews of her career and considerable Oscar buzz for her portrayal of Anne, the Queen of England, Scotland, and Ireland from 1702 through 1707, in Yorgos Lanthimos's acclaimed dramedy The Favorite. The film, which also stars Oscar winners Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss as cousins who are members of Queen Anne's court competing for her affection, had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival and North American premiere at the Telluride Film Festival en route to opening the New York Film Festival last month. Over the course of our conversation in the penthouse of the Whitby Hotel in New York, the 44-year-old and I discussed a wide range of topics, including the roots of her long-running collaboration with the British comedy team of David Mitchell and Robert Webb, how Tyrannosaur, a little indie film directed by fellow actor Patti Considine, and Broadchurch, an ITV detective series, totally changed her life and career, what it has been like playing queens in the films Hyde Park on Hudson and The Favorite, and now on the upcoming third and fourth seasons of The Crown, in which she is replacing Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth II, Plus much more. But first, I was joined at the Weston Hotel in Times Square by Elsie Fisher, the 15-year-old actress who played the 13-year-old character at the center of Bo Burnham's indie dramedy Eighth Grade, which had its world premiere at January's Sundance Film Festival and which A24 released on July 13th. With a 98-degree favorable rating on RottenTomatoes.com, it is one of the most critically acclaimed films of 2018, and Fisher's poignant performance is a large reason why. Elsie, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Glad I caught you when I was just swinging through New York. Are you based around here?
1: I'm based in L.A.
0: Oh, in L.A.? Yeah. So what brings you to New York at the moment?
1: This, man. I came here just for this. (laughs) No, I mean, just work stuff. Nice. Whatever. Got it.
0: Well... We always begin with just a few kind of basics. Where were you mm. born and raised, and what do your folks do for a
1: living? Yeah, so I was born in Riverside, California, and I was raised in Idawild, California. Mm-hmm. Both not very well known, but whatever. Right. No, it was cool, and both my folks work in the restaurant industry.
0: And it was through that I was reading that this all kind of got started, right? At four years old, what happened with you?
1: Yeah, yeah, so at about four or five understandably, I think the story's a little foggy in my mind. It's been 10 years. (laughs) A little while. No, so my dad worked at, like, this jazz cafe. He was a waiter there. So sometimes we would eat there, and this was in Idlewild. And one of our friends was, like, a bassist who would often play live music. So being the rambunctious 4-year-old I was, (laughs) I would, like, go on stage and dance with him. Yeah, and I think through that, my dad was, like, approached by people, and he kind of got an offer for me to, like, you know, be looked at by agents, I guess. I don't know. And yeah, we sat on it for a while. And then, I mean, I I went in for like, an interview or something they just wanted to make sure i could read scripts right. without my parent around you know like i wasn't too anxious um, you could
0: read at that point i, I couldn't read it for i don't or think or not
1: not read scripts but like just run lines yeah I you know it. yeah 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 because yeah, they just want to make sure you're independent sure. enough as a four-year-old yes. to like you know do an audition by yourself right I right, guess. right but yeah i mean i i passed the test Woo! and
0: did you immediately you kind of felt that you liked this kind of thing
1: i i mean I've liked it for as long as I know, uh, you know, as long as I've done it. I don't know if I immediately liked it. I think it was cool, though, because, you know, not a lot of kids at five can say I'm an actor.
0: Right. And and actually mean it outside of like class play or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what were the first sort of opportunities that came about as a result of that? I saw there were Mm. maybe some ads, commercial type things.
1: Yeah, I did a lot of commercials. I think. One of my first ever jobs was like a Toys R Us commercial, and I did a few for Hershey's. Those were really fun.
0: And these were like national ads, though, right? These were pretty widely seen.
1: Yeah, like my first first job, pretty much though, was Despicable Me.
0: Really? Yeah, because
1: I I voiced Agnes, the smallest of the three daughters. Yeah. In
0: in both that first one and the second one in so 2010 and 2013. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying that really? I guess let's do the math. If you're if you first got the agent like when you were 5 that means mm. what 10 like you said maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. And then so 10 years ago is 08 and then 2 years later you're doing your first big these are big movies.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did the actual voiceover like probably more soon after I actually became like an actress because yeah, 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 I yeah. mean, it takes a while to make stuff. True. So So yeah. was that
0: Did you kind of realize at that point what a big deal that would be to be in? I guess nobody knew (laughs) it. That Despicable Me would become this whole thing. But but that was a a big thing. I I, I guess another thing I came across was that for people who don't know where, you know, Idlewild is Mm. in relation to L.A. I mean, if you want to do auditions or things, most of that's going to be in L.A. What did that mean for you?
1: Yeah, I was I mean, I was getting especially in the beginning, I was getting, like, you know, auditions five days a week, and it would be, like, a four-hour drive every day. Each
0: way or a round trip? Both ways. Both ways, ways, yeah. I'm looking Um, at your dad, right, mm -hmm. and I I guess, you know, thankfully it's all worked out, but that's a a schlep, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, I missed a lot of school, so.
0: (laughs) But, you know, I guess you were, just even if you're not getting auditions, you're learning... Probably from each one a little bit about what oh, you yeah. uh, and just getting better. I don't know if you did this one that I'm going to ask you about before the Despicable Me first voiceover, but it looks like on your on your credits list that even before Despicable Me there was an episode of Medium. Is that your first of all? screen jobs
1: it was it was made after despicable me but it aired before it got it so
0: so yeah despicable me though that must have gotten you some cred with the classmates (laughs) and everything how was that was that pretty exciting when you're your first thing that is really you know to have your first thing really seen or at least heard by a lot Mm. of other people
1: yeah i mean well with classmates they were excited at first but it kind of like I wasn't teased because of it, but, like, it became old quick, especially, uh. like, with them asking me to do The Voice. Um, <laughs> that has followed me, like, into my high school years. The and voice. I'm like, Yeah. And they're like, so you're so fluffy, and I'm like, if I could, I'd beaten the third one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so for you yeah. then, after that, was it just sort of, like, did you notice that that, opened up a lot of other doors or was it back to the grind of auditioning like it was before
1: Mm, I mean it's always kind of been the grind of auditioning but it's definitely better that I have Despicable Me under my belt because I mean like that's a pretty big thing especially for like a first or second job absolutely I know
0: another one that I recognized on the list there and I guess it came a few years after the the two Despicable Me's was McFarlane USA what was Mm. can you tell people just to remind them what that was all about for you
1: Yeah, so it was a Disney movie, I believe, and it was about a cross-country team, Mm -hmm. I think, in McFarland, USA, in California. Yeah, and that was really fun. I got to play Kevin Costner's daughter and and Maria Bello's daughter, and yeah, it was a fun experience. And
0: so maybe that was the largest on-screen part up to that point for you, right? Now people are seeing you, not just hearing you. No,
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I'd been in, like, you know, other stuff and commercials especially. Yeah. And yeah. like, Idlewild was like, they had a film school up there. So really? I did a lot of student films for okay. people. But yeah, that was probably one of my one of my biggest roles for a while.
0: Nice. Well, all right. So obviously the thing that most people now are going to associate you with until the next big thing <laughs> is 8th grade. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's such a great movie that people have loved throughout, you know, as they've discovered it throughout this year. And our intro will have said this, but I'm <laughs> going to just to lead into it here obviously about the last week of middle school for a young lady who's going off to high school and what that all entails. And I guess to just sort of first personalize this and set the scene, what was your... So you had just finished eighth grade yourself when you went into doing eighth grade, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I had literally just finished eighth grade and then like a week later we started pre-production.
0: How would you say your eighth grade experience was because i mean i i can't imagine it was (laughs) more challenging than than your characters than kayla's right
1: yeah i don't know i mean they were pretty similar believe it or not i mean i've always been a pretty anxious person Mm -hmm. i like as a child i was very weird because i was dealing with anxiety at like Mm -hmm. a very young age but you know i didn't i didn't have a name to put to it also i was barely coherent (laughs) but um yeah, I mean, that's something I've always struggled with. And that's part of why the movie is so personal to me. Yeah.
0: Well, you've written actually, I, don't, I think it was maybe since the movie, but I read a mm. uh, guest piece that you wrote that was very yeah, well yeah. done and interesting. Just Thank saying you. how, you know, it's you opening up about that, that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I want to just be honest with people in general and, you know, just genuine because I don't know. I don't see any point in hiding these problems I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. I think anxiety is very relevant to today, yeah. especially because the internet and just life in general.
0: Right. You have your own experience with eighth grade. You now, I guess I had read that even before you heard from Bo Burnham, you were aware of him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was a a big fan of his. I I only started listening to his stuff actually in like the beginning of eighth grade year. But I, you know, I'd known about him for forever.
0: Well, tell like, you know, there are going to be some people listening who don't know him from anything other than eighth grade. So what, uh, how did he get on your radar?
1: Yeah, okay, so Bo does comedy, for those of you who don't know, he does musical comedy. Yeah, and I I remember it was, like, people do animations on YouTube to his songs, and Mm -hmm. I mean, like, or they'll animate over John Mulaney skits with, you know, whatever (laughs) characters. But, yeah, I remember I saw, like, an animation of his, and I'm like, I like this song. So I looked it up, and I saw Make Happy on Netflix. I think this was out at the time. Yeah, and I just... I really got into him after that and fun fact in my eighth grade year in the very beginning of the year they had you fill out this little slip if you became student of the month okay so they're like what are your interests what music do you listen Mm -hmm. to who your idols and i i put bow as my idol no way
0: That, that's I hope you hold on to a copy of that, or somebody's held on to a well, copy of that. we have that. a photo somewhere, that's so it awesome. works out, yeah. That's great. Um,
1: but okay. it was pretty great, well, yeah. Well, so
0: then, it must have been pretty weird to then hear from the guy. How did that happen?
1: So, I was kind of auditioning around. I was actually considering stopping acting for a while, because, I don't know, I, I just wasn't getting jobs, and, like, middle school, especially eighth grade, I think, is a time where you kind of have to consider what you're going to be doing. Yeah, High school more so, but still, you know... Auditioning was taking time out of my schoolwork Mm -hmm. and it wasn't giving back. Right. But I got really excited because I got this audition for an unnamed project directed by Bo Burnham and it was a director session and I was really intrigued by the script because
0: What does director session mean?
1: It's when you have an audition like with the director. Oh, the director will be there. Yeah, so he would be in the room. Yeah, yeah. So I like the first audition was a reading between me and Bo. Wow. But yeah, the first script was actually Kayla's opening monologue. And remind
0: um, people, that's that's where... She, is it one of the YouTube... It's uh, one of the
1: YouTube videos, yeah. yeah. It's the one where she's talking about being herself. But I was really intrigued by the way she spoke, because that's something I definitely related to. Yeah, and well, I mean...
0: Well, and we should just... Inter- I just want to inter- oh, for yeah, one yeah, thing to sure. tell you that what Bo said, just to put the pieces <laughs> all together here, he said about the audition process, quote, every other kid played it like a confident kid pretending to be mm. shy. She, meaning you was the only person that felt like a shy kid pretending to be confident. She was the only person that felt like she had the vulnerability needed and yet could also carry a movie, close quote. And he then went on to say that from that point forward, even though, you know, they went through the day of auditions, you were his first choice for Mm. the rest of the way. (laughs) Did you feel good about it as you were doing it and as you left the room? Or did you have to hear from him to know that it went well?
1: I definitely felt good about it because, I mean— It was a very special audition, just for me personally. I don't get to do, like, a lot of improv and auditions, and that's something we did, and that was so fun. And, like, there was just a really good vibe in the room, so it was really easy to, like, lose myself in the scene a little bit and get into Kayla. And I mean, like, I'm always anxious. Auditions are scary. Yeah. But, like, I felt pretty calm, actually, and Beau was just so nice.
0: And he's a relatively young guy too right what, what is he like now he's 27 so right i think he's or now 28. he's 28 28 he's okay let's give him full credit Yeah, let's... but at, so this was what like two maybe two years ago or something
1: yeah this would have been like 2016 2017 yeah yeah so
0: he's not as far away from being at eighth grader as many potential directors could have yeah, been i mean yeah. but how long after that and how did you find out that you had gotten it
1: So it was actually a while after that. I I think I did the first audition in in maybe... December of 2016 or maybe January mm-hmm. of 2017. And I was auditioning up until April-ish. Mm-hmm. And I went to the final audition and we had like five or five or six. And we, we ran like a scene between Kayla and her dad. And just uh, like some stuff. Just normal whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we finished up doing stuff and then Bo called my dad into the room and he asked what we were doing this summer. And it was just, it was really exciting. Wow. Yeah.
0: So... Then, though, the the work begins, because now you got to yeah, carry yeah. this movie. So how did you prep? I mean, it's got to be your biggest part yet, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah by, definitely. by far.
1: In terms of prep, I mean, that's kind of something they didn't want me to do too much of. And, I mean, it's not like I knew how to prep anyways. Right. But, I mean, like, I was literally having anxiety attacks before we left because I'm like... Oh, God, I haven't acted in forever, and this is a lead, and I really respect Bo, and and all this stuff. But, um, yeah, because, I mean, I'm just, again, I'm an anxious person. There were just a lot of factors. Well, and and it sounds
0: like he wasn't for reasons that I'll leave it to you to explain. He was, I I read, going to let you see the script once, but Mm. that was going to be basically it?
1: Yeah. So, well, I only read the full script once in one session just to know what I was stepping into Mm -hmm. because, I mean, he didn't want to pop any scenes on me, you know, with surprise because there are some more like mature things in that movie. Yeah, it was more about just getting it in the moment, I think, because I would get the lines for each day's work in the morning and then I would practice them before we did the scene, like 20 or 30 minutes before.
0: Were there rehearsals for certain types of scenes?
1: There were rehearsals w- uh, with Josh Hamilton. who That's your played dad? Who, yeah, yeah, who played my dad. And it was really only his, just that stuff, really. I, I did some read-throughs with Kayla's uh, YouTube videos with Bo. We did, like, just practicing recording yeah. those, because those are kind of weird to film. Yeah, But yeah, there weren't too many rehearsals, especially with the other kids. And because... did
0: you like it that way? Is it kind of nice oh, to yeah. feel that you, if you don't have to say every word in the exact order you can you can make it feel as real as possible for you
1: yeah definitely because i mean i feel like any great movie should allow for a little bit of improv because i mean you know of course you want to stick to a writer's vision but like you got to let the actors have some freedom they can play a character a certain way and it's not like every especially teenagers it's not like everyone's you know super articulate right so i mean if you want to be realistic you know you should allow for some improv
0: so what is Bo like as a director and how do you think being younger and having written mm. the script but also being flexible you know it, everybody comments on how almost frighteningly real yeah, this yeah. all seems so you know how did you guys on the set aside from you know what you already described get the authenticity of the whole thing just you know make it feel as real as it does
1: yeah i mean honestly it was just about jumping into the scenes and he really did let me have a lot of control over how things went he was really good at directing me if i was kind of going in the in the wrong direction cuz you know, he's very much an actor's director. He's acted for a lot of his mm-hmm. life. And, I mean, he's done comedy performances in theater. So he knows what it's like on the other side. Yeah. So he's really good about kind of just being in it all with you. And, and, yeah, there's no, like, divide between actor and director. He's he's there to help guide you, I guess, and not tell you what to do.
0: And he said that you were helpful to him in, in letting him know what is actually going on with Eighth graders yeah, these yeah. days. There Just, was an example with Facebook. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. Okay. So originally in the script, all of Kayla's like direct messages and and you know Instagramming was on Facebook. And after reading it, I literally told him nobody uses Facebook anymore. <laughs> and then he put that line in the movie.
0: Right. And so, so it became Instagram. Right. Or, yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And it became Insta.
0: So the scenes that we were talking about a minute ago with the, the vlogs, I guess, or mm. whatever you call it, the making YouTube videos, those seem like they might have been more complex than almost anything else, because mm. here you're a actress playing a character who's playing a character in a way, yeah. right? You kind of have to think that through a little bit harder about just the fact that what she's actually trying to do, what you're trying to do to convey what she's trying to do mm. in that moment. it just gets a little more I tricky. Mean,
1: It does get trickier, but honestly, the best thing for me was not to think it through, because as soon as I start getting technical with it, I can't act. I'm like, beep boop. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really easy for me to lose myself in Kayla. She's very intuitive for me, Mm -hmm. her character. I mean, I relate to her, but we're definitely not the same person. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely can just be her i guess yeah but yeah i mean the youtube videos are you know there's something i've watched and i know people who've who make them mm-hmm. and i mean they're just weird I, it's uh, it's hard to describe but like yeah you are playing a character but i guess I that's know. the
0: whole social media world there everybody is presenting yeah, a version absolutely. of themselves that absolutely they're... the pool party scene is another one that everybody talks about how that might have been just tricky for so many different reasons. (laughs) All the characters that, you know, you've got to now, I mean, for anyone who's been in eighth grade and goes to, let's say, a a pool party or anything, you just know uh, nobody's particularly confident in those situations. Then you've got all the, you know, the way the scene plays out. You've got all these characters who you've got to kind of almost like a computer you you read each person's agenda <laughs> yeah, and whatever. Yeah. How was that one for you?
1: It wasn't too different than the other scenes for me personally cuz I mean for all of them it was really just about being honest about, you know, how I would kind of react in that situation of course considering, you know, Kayla's different right. unique perspective but still yeah, I don't know, that was probably one of the most Fun scenes to film. Yeah. You might think I was, like, super anxious and whatever on the day, but, like, that was the only time the whole summer I actually got to swim, so.
0: (laughs) And you got to do the first of the two scenes with that funny guy that you ended up at the end of the movie. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah, Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. (laughs) and played by Jake Ryan. Yes. It was very interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The last of the specific scenes that I want to ask you about, because I think it is, in some ways, the maybe the most upsetting for people to watch. And I wonder what it was like for you to play. And I also wonder when it was shot, you know, in terms of time, because Mm. it almost speaks to a lot of what's going on in the real world Mm. is the one where you are given a ride home by this friend of a friend who then decides to get a little out of line. But the way you played it was so interesting because on the one hand you have to You obviously stand up for yourself, but on the other hand, there's still, and what makes it kind of heartbreaking is there's still this desire to not seem like you're not, you know, the cool girl still or whatever, but just that he's made it so he's put you in this terrible, your character in this terrible position. So for people who have seen it, they know what we're talking about. Mm. For you, what was that one like?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just trying to read the situation and again, just treat it as honestly as I could. The day of filming was way less high stakes than the scene itself films. And it it was filmed right around the same time we were doing the high school stuff, which would have been in the middle-ish end of filming. I think it's really interesting in that scene especially because, I mean, Kayla has kind of a, a few sub arcs in the movie i think but like you know during the fire drill or Mm -hmm. whatever or earthquake drill Mm -hmm. when she's under the tables like crawling over (laughs) to aiden like that that she thought that was what she wanted Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's what the banana scene was kind of about um (laughs) and you know she just probably feels really bad because like she thought that's what she would want and she wanted to You know, be accepted and because, you know, when you're around older people, and especially when peers your age aren't as accepting of you, like Kennedy and and the mean girls or whatever, that's got to be really stressful and, like, a really bad internal struggle. But, I mean, I think hopefully by the end of it, though, she realizes, I don't know, just to be more forgiving of herself and, and let herself discover what she needs i don't know i mean i I just i feel so bad for her after that truly because what a terrible thing to like go through because i mean even though nothing really happened that's still so traumatizing
0: yeah we're seeing i mean obviously in the real world this very week that stuff that happens in high school stays with people for a very long time but anyway for for you now coming back to your own kind of experience these Mm. days, I want to ask you, what was it like? So you wrap the movie. Mm. I don't know how long it was before you then get to see a cut of the movie. But what was it like that first time when you get to see yourself playing this major part carrying a movie for the first time
1: so the first time I actually watched the film was at Sundance in in Utah and it was really weird I mean like good weird but um, (laughs) I immediately started crying because like I had like zero faith in my own acting because that's something that's hard for me to gauge because you know I, I wasn't seeing scenes after I feel like I would be a good director maybe because like you know, for other people, I, mm-hmm. I can see how it might be good done. But for myself, it's just difficult. Yeah. I was just happy that I was enjoying filming. But to see that I made this thing that was actually like really of quality and I just got to do it with people I really love and respect was just so like overwhelming, but in the best way possible.
0: And then to hear all the feedback. Yeah, people love the movie overall, yeah, but you were yeah. getting specifically a lot about yourself and your performance. Mm. How was that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just really heartwarming and just good. And I I mean, like, it was just insane to think that, like, a year ago I was ready to quit. Yeah, I was, like, so ready for it. And now, like, people are just really liking what I got to do. And I I just feel so lucky for that.
0: So the last question, I guess, is how has life changed since that screening in Mm. Sundance, which would have been, what are we talking now, nine, ten months ago? Are you now more... Committed to staying in acting? Are you still having to commute many hours, or (laughs) have you relocated? How's it affected things with friends? Just give us an update.
1: Yeah, well, thankfully, I relocated, actually, a few years ago. Okay, Um, okay. So, I've been living in Thousand Oaks, so that's a lot closer to L.A. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's definitely changed my life in terms of acting. I've been on way more auditions. Mm-hmm. I might not have gotten anything yet. Or I am doing the animated Adams Family by oh, MGM. Cool. Yeah. So that's super exciting. But yeah, I've been like auditioning a ton more, which is still just great. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm I'm starting to feel better about myself in terms of acting and having a little faith in mm-hmm. myself. In terms of friends though, it's like there's a, like I have like three actual high school friends still, because now I'm doing homeschooling.
0: How's that? You like it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, I I get to work on my own schedule, so that's nice, and I don't have to worry about missing school as much, but, you know, they're supportive, but also they don't really care that much.
0: Well, and and I I was reading that, you know, when somebody was asking you about your, your close friends, you're saying you tend to be friendlier with some of these older folks who you've worked with, including... Bo, right yeah I mean, you yeah. guys are still gonna remain in touch beyond oh, this
1: absolutely yeah yeah he, he's like one of my best friends if not my best friend
0: that's great yeah. well you guys made something really special and oh, thank, you, thank, thank you congratulations thank you for so doing much. this yeah. thank you for
1: having me Yeah.
0: absolutely and now for my interview with olivia Coleman. olivia thank you so much for doing this Welcome. We always begin with just some of the basics. Where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living?
2: I was born in Ranworth in Norfolk, England, and my mum was a nurse, district nurse, which means she would visit people who couldn't get to the Mm -hmm. hospital, and my dad was a chartered surveyor.
0: (laughs) And were movies or TV or theatre a big part of your life growing up? And if so, any that stand out in your memory in particular?
2: As a kid, I sort of remember the Christmas movies... Every year. Sound of Music was on every mm. year. <laughs> and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, right. which I watched for the first time with my daughter the other day. Oh, nice. And E.T., things like that.
0: And I heard for television you you were a big Dallas person I came across.
2: Yes, how do you know that?
0: Oh, hey, you know. I gotta... used to
2: love Dallas and Dynasty and the Colbys.
0: Some of the high soap, soapy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And
2: just the and the American glamour of it all. Right. I used to be allowed to stay up and watch. <laughs> yeah.
0: So as you kind of were entering adolescence I from what I was able to gather you you say that you were somebody who projected a lot of happiness and confidence and whatever but that you were you had a little inner turmoil as a lot of young people do was how what kind of a kid were you what was going on
2: (laughs) I think I was basically a happy kid and just normal teen stuff you know when you get to a teenager because I I wasn't terribly good at anything (laughs) until I discovered I did a school play and then I, I suddenly found the thing that I loved.
0: And that was that was your you were 16. What what happened? How did it? Yeah. What was the start?
2: It was uh, the prime of Miss Jean Brodie, and I went to audition at school. At school. Yeah. And got Jean Brodie. That's,
0: <laughs> That's like, a I funny think. thing to have a kid play that part, right? I know.
2: And also, we had no idea what it, what it what it meant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and did you get particularly good feedback about it, or was it just the process that you enjoy it?
2: I just the process. I think
0: is. Yeah. Yeah. So then it, shortly thereafter, becomes time to go off to, you know, university. What was the outlook at that point? What did you think you were going to be doing? Where did you go to university? Well,
2: I had to go back to school for an extra year because I did so badly in my (laughs) final exams. So I had to go back to do another subject because no university would have me. (laughs) And then I got into Homerton, which is the teacher training college in Cambridge, and I didn't last there very long. Why well, was that? <laughs> I just wasn't very good at studying. <laughs>
0: yeah, but the idea had been that you would come out of that being a school teacher.
2: Sort of, yeah. yes. Although I didn't really ever want to do that. But I just didn't know that I could be an actor. Mm-hmm. So I sort of went along and did it. And then once I got there, no one knew, you know, that I... So I left the college, mm-hmm. but stayed in the town and just cycled around. I worked as a cleaner went to other people's lectures, and did loads of plays. And that's when I realised I I don't want to be anything other than an actor.
0: And I guess it was in that period that you're talking about that you met a lot of people who ended up having important roles in the rest of your life and and career. Can we start with David Mitchell and Robert Webb? How did that that begin? Because that has been a thread for years after. Yeah.
2: I met them... I went for an audition for something called The Footlights, and... I didn't know it was footlights. It was just in sort of biro. It said auditions that way. So I, I turned up, <laughs> and yeah, Rob and David were also part of the footlights, and we all just got on really well. And Rob and David became writing partners, and they were. And for a, we sort of lost each other for a few years, and then suddenly I'm jumping ahead a bit. Sorry. No, that's not- And then I got a, when I was at drama school. Eventually, I got a phone call. Erica, the secretary in drama school, went, they said, you've got an audition in, at the BBC. And, oh, my God, how exciting. <laughs> why? Couldn't work out why. And Rob and David had s- suggested me for their, one of their... They'd been commissioned to do a sketch show.
0: And that was the, that was the beginning of, of that. But, yeah. I mean, actually, the real beginning, though, it sounds like, was what did you do at that initial audition that made a big impression on oh. them? <laughs>
2: <laughs> they said, sell us something. It wasn't Robin David. I think it was James Barkman, Dan Mazer. Who else was there? Can't remember. But they said sell us something, and make us believe it's food. And I, did, I didn't know what to do, so I found an old cigarette butt in these disgusting ashtrays, which turns out I, I discovered had, I don't think, had been emptied for three years. Well oh, And I was trying to sell this thing as a nutritional, right. delicious, lovely <laughs> snack, and it was going very badly. And so I ate it. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh. And I think they, they were so disgusted, nobody laughed, but I think they thought maybe I was game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody to work with, yeah. I guess the other big person that came out of that period would be your husband.
2: Yes, Eddie Bear.
0: So how did that Sorry, He was an actor at the
2: time as well. So he was in a play. He'd auditioned for the play because he fancied the girl who was the director. <laughs> and I auditioned because she was a friend of mine. OK, all right. And, and I think I turned up to third rehearsal and saw this beautiful man... I saw his right-hand profile, and and I, had, I went, oh, that's him. I'm going to marry him. At, seriously? Absolutely. Thunderbolts.
0: Wow. I know. And Poor was that thing. immediately just... reciprocated? No. No? <laughs> no, I had to chase him around for quite a long time. And that was what year? That would have been, like, it seems like mm. 94?
2: I'm not very good with dates, but we've been together. We were 20. We've been together 24 years.
0: Wow. So you said you had left school already. Yes. So you were now. How did you end up then at? drama school
2: oh so then ed he was doing law and was really good at it but he just didn't really want to do it and i said come with me and we'll you know be actors together and he thought that sounded fun (laughs) so he applied to drama school and got in and i didn't think i wanted to go to drama school i just wanted to start working Mm -hmm. just get cracking Mm -hmm. but i went with him to bristol thinking i would support him and i'll work as a temp i'd learn how to type and we'd sort of look after each other. I'd try and audition for things, and then he he was having such fun, and all the people were so lovely. Sort of, you know, we'd found our tribe. Um, that I auditioned to get in the following year, so we we overlapped while we were there. And how many years was that at, at drama school? So I did two a two year course.
0: And as you went out in the world after that, were you? thinking, you know, I'm going to have a career for the rest of my life in the theatre, or was there some element of a desire to do screen acting already as
2: well? Uh, I didn't have a plan, really. I just wanted to do anything, anything anyone would, would give me.
0: <laughs> and I guess an issue was that you could not go out in the world under your own name?
2: Oh, yes, because um, Equity already had a Sarah Coleman.
0: Because OK, so you were Sarah. born Sarah. Be- yes. So how, why Olivia?
2: One of my best friends, my flatmates, while I was a student, was Olivia, and I loved her name. Yeah. And I asked if she wouldn't mind if I borrowed it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's nice the beginning of, of that. <laughs> yeah. Also, I was never called Sarah. hate being called Sarah. <laughs> really? What did they call you? Collie was my nickname. As it's, in um, Coleman? Yeah.
0: Ah. So, in those first few years out, out in the world, work was not
2: pouring in? Is that correct? Yes. So I worked as a temp and a cleaner for quite a long time, but lovely Lindy king at what was then pfd took me on from the show you do at the end of drama school so i had her on my mm-hmm. side and she was putting me up for all sorts i just wasn't getting getting the auditions oh my god she's going to drop me
0: well did you ever at any point think you know this is this is too hard or crushing or whatever i'm gonna i'm gonna throw in the towel or no, you were, never no, no.
2: well because i couldn't do anything else <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have talked about the fact though that you know people that you knew that came out of drama school and stuff at the same time, it just never got yeah. going for them. And, I mean, I don't know that that directly applies to your husband, but you have said that it was a it was a decision, like it was a tough thing, but yeah. he became a writer instead. Right? Yeah,
2: well, actually it wasn't a tough decision for him, was he it? says. Okay. He was quite relieved when he said, OK, I'm going to give this up. Yeah. Because he started off getting a lot of work and then suddenly it just dried up. There's no, there no rhyme or reason to it. No. And it's in, I can't understand how so many of our friends at drama school didn't get much work. Mm-hmm. And so he always wanted to write. He was just maybe a bit scared to admit it. I don't <laughs> he's chosen the hardest possible yeah. you know, career, but he's much happier doing that.
0: Nothing would have gotten you to stop. No. That's, that's, <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, so I think this is what you were referring to a little earlier, but how in 2001 did you then end up reuniting with Mitchell and Webb for that Mitchell and Webb look, I guess, or had you already done the radio stuff? With so we him? did
2: Bruiser, which was the f- my first ever telly job, which was the one that they had um, suggested me for.
0: Oh yeah, for BBC. And
2: then we sort of, then we were back together. So we sort of, they would suggest me for things, or we did the Miser as a, a TIE, which is Theatre and Education mm-hmm. tour in a van, <laughs> and there were fifteen <laughs> characters and only four of us playing it so it was just it was absurd really that what we, we were trying to do quick changes and there's one bit which was filmed on a you know on an old videotape and we'd someone they'd hold up a, the television and put the video in and then i would talk to the video <laughs> thing just because we didn't <laughs> have enough people that's quite fun but we had a we had a giggle doing that and then we did they did lots of comedy radio comedy radio four and but you were basically their muse, right? Well, muse makes it sound good. I think I was just the, the spare person that did.:
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: But would you were
0: you surprised to find that you were now working heavily in comedy as opposed to drama or had that always been your No, I loved comedy. Yeah?
2: I loved it. And I was getting work, you know, so I was very happy. And I'd always wanted to do both. But yeah, lovely. I mean, you know, Nothing better.
0: That, well, and, and giggling, when you say you were it? getting work, even beyond that collaboration, that was The Office, right? Black oh, Books, yeah. around that time, yeah. Green Wing. So,
2: Gosh, well done.
0: <laughs> no, well, I just think it's to say that there was a lot of comedic work at the beginning, which yeah. for people who have only caught up maybe more recently might be, might be a surprising, little surprising. Suppose, yeah. But I guess the big one with them that, and really in terms of probably at that point putting you on a... Radar larger than anything up to that point would have been Peep Show.
2: Yes. Can you
0: explain for any Americans who are again late to the party just you know what that involved? Sounds
2: rude, Peep Show. (laughs) Not well. It's not as rude as you think. um, (laughs) So Peep Show was Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong, who wrote together and they sometimes write you know their own things as well. They had been writing for other people. And so had Rob and David. And I think they all met when they were all writing for someone else. And Sam and Jesse just thought, these two are hilarious and we should write something for them. I think that's how it all worked out. And it's all filmed from POV, point of view. So we had a camera. Initially, it was sort of on a hat on our head. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and And it was, well... We're not very good camera people. And it also, as you got hot and sweaty wearing this thing on your head, it would start to slide. Oh, and my and you got God. To, and someone would grab the back of your head to try and keep your head... Right, ..so right. the camera's still getting the, the right <laughs> image. And then after the first series, they realised that was silly. And so we got a proper <laughs> camera op yeah, who, who yeah. did it with the digicam. And then we put our arms around him to do all of the stuff and drinking. And I'm, do- I'm doing hand signals, which is rubbish. <laughs> I'm so sorry.
0: Well, but so that ended up being 32 episodes spanning a number of years yeah. how many series
2: though? i think t- nine series between
0: 2003 and 2015 so you yes. were very you were very associated with that show with this part of sophie yeah. a very forgiving <laughs> girlfriend but you've talked about the fact that with that agent who you mentioned earlier at a certain point you had to kind con- I guess she, she- <laughs> raised the issue, right? This, yeah, you might Lindy. wanna reconsider yes, sir.
2: So Lindy said at some point, in order to, you know, keep your career going and to change it a bit and change it up a gear, you're going to have to, you know, say no to sort of smaller roles and maybe sit it out. She said it it's a gamble. <laughs> we might not work for a while. And oh my god, okay. So it sort of meant yes, doing less with Rob and David, which was incredibly sad and and it doesn't you know we still do do stuff together but it was a sort of decision at the time to try and you know wouldn't it? it was terrifying
0: were you yeah I was gonna say were you confident
2: it was the right decision? no no, but I, t- I completely put my trust in uh, Lindy because she's she knows what she's doing and so
0: now at that point it became other TV and film work but it's and it sounds like mostly good experiences there's one though that I have read you do not don't talk Look about it. Look back fondly on? Nope.
2: Can't can't even Should we just just to I can't even just to orient well.
0: our audience quickly. We don't <laughs> have to go into it. But like this was again with Webb. Mm-hmm. Confetti 06. The movie was 06. But it, you said it was quote the worst experience of my life, close quote. Why? Just no, I'm not. not, not you really do it. don't
2: absolutely can't do it. I'll cry, I'm not doing it.
0: It was that bad. Wow. Okay. So that was oh six. There's a number of things over the next five years after that which seemed like they were better, smaller, bigger, like cameo Doctor Who, the first Doctor Who with Matt Smith, other things, I guess the first time working with Patty Considine, which will come to more of him. But sounds like everything changed in 2011, right? Yes, that was I- the year of both The Iron Lady and Trans. Oh,
2: right, that was, yeah, I'm not very good with dates. Yes, yeah, so pa- Paddy and I met on Hot Fuzz, and I opened a door for him, and for him that was when he went. Oh, she'd be right for that thing I've been thinking of. <laughs>
0: yeah, so, Hot <laughs> Fuzz, really—that's it. Was just a brief interaction, and that yeah. was because. And then, what was as uh, Scorsese? It oh, yeah. was, <laughs> <laughs> was like a mockumentary. That was
2: Shane Shane Meadows and Paddy. That was just an improvised. It was hilarious. It was a character that Paddy had been sort of being and making Sh- uh, Shane laugh, and. And they decided, yeah, <laughs> don't, I don't quite know how that came about. They asked that was me to after go
0: Hot Fuzz or before?
2: After, because I think I just had my second baby in Ladonk. I was pregnant in it. And then the baby at the end is, is my,
0: <laughs> my
2: baby. And Hot Fuzz, I only had one kid baby. Right. So, yes, later,
0: yes. All right, so all of that, though, you know, again, leading up to 2011, let's, I guess, start with the Iron Lady, you're playing carol thatcher but i guess probably more meaningfully to you at the time you got the job you're going to be working with meryl, meryl. streep i know <laughs> how daunting or exciting <laughs> or whatever was that
2: it was so ridiculously exciting i could never say her name because <laughs> it's just meryl's you know there's only one person in the world meryl. Right, right and so i just waited for her to look at me and i went Hello. <laughs> I couldn't, just couldn't quite believe it she was so lovely though and made you feel completely at ease
0: and you saw her in fine... Not that she's ever not in fine form, <laughs> yeah. but, like, en, en route to can Oscar number three. Can you ever...
2: Has she ever been rubbish? I
0: can't uh, recall <laughs> myself. And for that one, just to give people a sense of how you, even with a, you know, a relatively smaller part like that, how the kind of prep you can do to, you know, and playing a real person maybe for the first time. Yeah. What did you do?
2: Well, rather handily, Carol had just been doing I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. In the, do you do you have that? Here no, but as well? I think
0: we know we, yeah. have, we have a sense what it, one of these realities. And so,
2: actually, as research, I watched all of those tapes because she was completely being herself, so it was great. Thank Rather you than you know, when on your best behavior in, in an interview, she was she was hilarious and brilliant, and you really want to. If you were stuck somewhere, you'd want her with you. She was fearless, so I watched those. Yeah, all of those tapes.
0: I guess the uh, the nice thing might have been that when. Meryl won her BAFTA for <laughs> the Iron Lady. Yeah. Were you in the audience? No. No? no, no so you're about to hear it later, or see yeah. a video or whatever she yeah. said about you, that you were divinely gifted <laughs> oh, That's a That might be a confidence booster. Oh, that was lovely. Yeah? Yes. And, and that same year, though, I guess a, a totally different scale and size and genre and everything, but, you know, we, we mentioned this Tyrannosaur, which again was Paddy Constantine. How did that? You guys had first done a short that was the same, with the same playing the same characters, right? That's right. Yes. And he had written and direct, directed that as well.
2: Yes, and I think he says after that, lots of people asked him what happened to those characters, and that's when he decided he would explore what would happen and extended their stories. And And I think that's why the feature came along.
0: So just to, you know, contextualize, you were playing Hannah, this Christian charity shop worker, very violently abused at home and also in a way at at work and just, you know, terribly treated, but still just an amazing soul of a person to deal with that. And I just, Mm -hmm. was that primarily just that Patty had written something for you or did you personally tap into that character in particular yourself?
2: He'd written her so beautifully. She was, you know, it was easy to play her, really. And I it was one of the first times I really did proper research because I thought playing that is such a responsibility to anyone who's man or woman who's gone through that. I didn't want to not do it justice. Domestic and, abuse. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Paddy had researched it beautifully, and it, and he was amazing about. He's called her a soldier, and she was an absolute survivor. You know, as those, as people are when they're they're facing torture every day, mm-hmm. fear every day, awful.
0: You've said that the f- feature was the most satisfying experience of my professional career. close mm. quote, at least up to that point. Why was that? And then what did you make of the reception that it received? Which I think, again, certainly up to that point, I don't think anyone had shown that degree of love for what you'd done in something. I mean, here you special. Jury Prize at Sundance for your performance, Best Actress British Independent Film Award, all this, you know, and then people in Hollywood really focusing on you, maybe for the for the first time. What did you <laughs> What did you make of? Why was the experience so great? And then how did you process that reception?
2: It was great because we we filmed the whole film in four weeks, and it was intense and such a team of people, but it was also We only did each difficult scene one or two times. So beautifully written. It was acting with incredible people, opposite Peter Mullen and Eddie Marsan, And, you know, it felt like... I'm sure this is overused, this, but, you know, when you play tennis with someone really good, you play better? Mm -hmm. And it felt like that. It felt so satisfying and and actually weirdly enjoyable because once we'd done a difficult scene, everyone's like, all right, you're okay." Everyone's like, oh, okay," And then you'd have a beer or a laugh. (laughs) You know, you had to. You had to sort Mm -hmm. of shake it off and... And support each other. It was a, it was such a trusting Paddy says you don't want method anywhere near that shit. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And
2: so we had you know, we trusted each other and it was an amazing experience. First time I think I really felt like I, you know, got my teeth into something.
0: And then when it went out into the world?
2: And well, I felt so protective of it. If anyone hadn't have liked it, I'd have been really <laughs> angry. It's sort of a litmus. If someone says to me they like Tyrannosaur, then I love them. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, they've understood it, and it's, it was a beautiful, beautiful piece of work.
0: How soon after that did you feel the reverberations in terms of professional opportunities and interest and all of that in the business side of
2: things? Um, it did slowly, larger parts in scripts were, were being sent to me, which is nice. But I remember when Tyrannosaur, I think I counted about 15 people who said I'm a BAFTA member, I haven't seen it yet and I knew voting had closed and I was so angry yeah. that these beautiful films are made and people can't be asked to watch them if they're not the big glossy ones they don't watch. It's true. That made me really angry. So when I joined BAFTA I have this rule, I watch you know, the ones that don't have the backing, right, I watch right, them first, right. I watched all the British films first. and. Before I move on to the ones that really, you know, the really exciting yes. ones, because I that heartbreak is
0: you yeah. Know. The film ended up within industry circles getting yes. a big
2: once it I mean, audience
0: it, it, eventually, but not. Yeah. I mean,
2: and still now people who love film yeah love that film, but it it didn't have the money behind it to right. It couldn't shout about itself, you know.
0: I remember there was one of my colleagues, someone who does something similar to what I do, was raising funds in the U.S. to help. Start a kind of like GoFundMe essentially Oscar campaign for you because there wasn't somebody really uh-huh. doing that. I mean, do you remember that there was there were people that were so into this movie and your performance in particular.
2: I know that- some people were really yeah trying to champion the the film. I didn't yeah. know about the. Fundraising. Yeah, that's no, I really, mean, it, that's taking lovely. That, so yeah,
0: so Aww. all right. So after that, I guess maybe as a result of of that, a year later, you played your first queen. I believe this was in Hyde Park on that's right, yeah, My first queen, <laughs> <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, opposite Bill Murray. Oh, that was too much fun. That was yeah. a it, that was a fun one. <laughs> you worked on the West End, which I don't think you had. Yes. What did I do? Hey fever!
1: Oh,
2: Hay fever! Yes.
0: This is a revival of No Cowards. That's right. Uh, with
2: Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And that was
0: the beginning of your relationship. No,
2: with- we, we met on Iron Lady. Phoebe was on Iron Lady. Right, 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 right. And then we did that play together, and just had a ball with our friend Amy Morgan. Mm-hmm. Was that about that time? Gosh, well done. I don't know when things happened. First play I did was Long Day's Journey and Tonight with Paul Rudd, on- and before either of us had really done much work, and we and we he came to the premiere last night. Oh, that's great. That's
1: yeah.
0: great. So all of this leads up to what I think then has to be the next huge turning point, Broadchurch, right? So oh, yes. this is 2013. I guess to set the scene a little bit, the killing had been something that had been very popular uh, around the world as another type of detective child murder mystery situation. Yes. And now there was a hunger, that people realised for that type of programming, but you guys took it to another level here. This was an eight-part series first broadcast in the UK on ITV, then in the US on BBC America, and you played Ellie Miller, the local police officer on the trail of a child killer in a seaside town. I wonder if you had any concept, first of all, you know, when you signed on that it had really, sounds like it was written... For you, first of all. Oh, I don't know. I mean, had uh, Chris, Chris, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Chris Chib- <laughs> wonder. Although
2: somebody got his name, spelt it wrong at a dinner, and I, ever since then I want to call him Chinball. Chinball. They put the N and the B wrong. <laughs> the, the N end. just
0: doesn't look like I it vlogs there. But Chimball. I mean, he said that he wrote that. Ellie with you in mind. <laughs> oh, did he? But you, I guess you didn't, he didn't say that to you, but you almost turned it down. No, I didn't. Was it, it going to require oh, some no, time I... away from your family, though?
2: Yes, that's always difficult. But the, I read that, and I would have killed to play that part. To play the part? Yeah. Why? Just it was so beautifully written, and also she's, she's great. You know, she's funny and ballsy, and she's good at her job, and she's a mum, and she's she was fab. I loved her, <laughs> and loved him, and also to play to play a lead. You know, for an ITV thing, that was a really um, important chance, and. Yeah. I didn't realize it was going to be filming away from home. that's mm-hmm. <laughs> for months. Yeah, so I thought it was all in London, and it wasn't until I think they said, "So we're going to get you a, a little flat. But why? <laughs> 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 oh no. And then I managed to persuade them to let me go to Dorset or Bristol on a Monday morning and come back Friday night, so I had as long as possible at home, And whenever I wasn't used for a day, I'd come home. because nice. I hate being away from home. <laughs> so.
0: In the making of that, would you have ever imagined that it would provoke the kind of interest that it did? I think for the first series, more than 9 million people yeah. tuned in to see what, what happened with this, uh, you know, who was responsible for the murder of this yeah. boy. People were desperate to find out, I think. Yeah. When did you guys even find out in the, in the cast?
2: Well, none of us were meant to know, but I did actually know. How did you know? Because I asked on the very first meeting... I said, who did it? And they told me. And then 20 minutes later, I was nearly back at my front door and they phoned and went, actually, please don't say that, you know, we've decided we don't actually want anyone to know. Can you pretend that you don't know? (laughs) Okay. And so uh, when David Tennant, who played D.I. Hardy, when he found out that I knew... Because, you know, all the way along I'd been going, I don't know, who do you think it... (laughs) Um, And he was comically really angry...
0: Because he really didn't know. He
2: had no idea. You didn't tell me. How did you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) How does that affect your performance? Was it helpful to know or would it have been better not to
2: know? didn't make a difference, I don't think. No? No. Because, you know, most stories, most jobs you do, you do know. Yeah. So just pretending that you don't. (laughs) Right, right, right.
0: So as that show rolled out, you are now more recognized as out in public, I imagine, than ever before and the public wanted to know who did this oh, and yeah. all of that first of all just generally though how did you respond to being a public figure in that way and that on that scale for the first time
2: i didn't respond very well to it <laughs> i'm not very good at that bit i love my job mm-hmm. and i didn't really sign up to the other stuff i didn't expect it because everyone was desperate to know who did it i just ended up becoming a hermit and staying at home mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's only increased since then, probably exponentially, the public recognizability aspect of it. How do you deal with it? One thing we've talked about with a lot of folks on this podcast is they say that one of the things that enabled them to become a good actor was being able to go out and observe people behaving naturally and then, you know, internalizing some of that. When that becomes harder to do, how do you make up for that?
2: I don't know. That's true, though. That's yeah. It's lovely coming here because I can wander around and no one knows who I am. It's really lovely.
0: Because you th- because just most of the TV work was done in England and not yeah. widely as widely broadcast here. Yeah. Is that why?
2: Yeah. And it's it's noticeably. I feel much calmer. Really. I love being able to go into a coffee shop or wander around, and I, f- I feel yeah. I f- I find it quite stressful.
0: How did it affect yeah. when they now wanted to? You know, kind of ride the success of the first series of of Broadchurch to do another. First of all, just generally, did you have any hesitation about continuing? You know, trying to follow something that had been so successful, but then also doing it when now the world is watching, and yeah. it, it might be a different experience.
2: It was much harder filming on the quay at the seaside with just fifty people on their phones, and that's that's the thing I can't get my head around why everyone has to have video footage photographic evidence of everything just go away and it's <laughs> you know well, watch it yeah. but you don't have to i found that well it was virtually impossible we had to rewrite a lot and uh, you know
0: because things it. were being spoiled
2: we just couldn't ever get rid of a sea of people
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know but signing up to it was a, a you know a no-brainer i think chris had said he always wanted to do a trilogy anyway so we were sort of aware of that when we signed up for the first one.
0: You were? Okay, I yeah. didn't realise that. I thought that maybe it was because the the first one had done so well that...
2: Um, maybe. I think we didn't... We sort of talked about it, but it certainly wasn't written into a contract initially. And so when he said, I think we might do two and three, we went, well, okay. All
0: right, yeah. yeah. So in that period of 2012, 2013, w- let's note that you had something happen that I don't know if any... I don't recall if anyone else has ever had this happen, and I don't think so. You won two BAFTAs in one night, BAFTA awards for Accused, and also 2012. So one was lead actress in a comedy, and I'm trying to remember the categories, and the other was supporting in a,
1: in a draw, limited...
0: Uh, or, yeah, yeah. yeah limited But the point, I guess, be- is just, like, that must have also been essentially, like, a, a huge... Flare to the industry and to the media and everybody that wait a minute we've got to pay attention to this more attention uh-huh. to this
2: person than we've been paying right I mean that night can you take us back to oh, God, it that was amazing that night that was because I'd been nominated for things before and just never got them and still have a fun night you know yeah that was unbelievable <laughs> yeah didn't you know no one expects to get one but to get two was yeah. So that was
0: that was in May of two thousand thirteen. Yeah. Best actress right. in a comedy for twenty twelve. You're playing secretary who has a crush on her married <laughs> boss, played yeah. by Hugh Bonneville. We know. <laughs> and then best supporting actress
2: for the drama "Accused" as the mother of a murdered child, written by Jimmy McGovern, and opposite Anne Marie Duff. And that was that was a, another really a joyful, a weirdly terribly upsetting, yes, but a really lovely job. And to work opposite Anne Marie Duff was just amazing.
0: So you, that night you get your two statuettes and the show ends. What was the rest of your night? I, I went home,
2: had a cup of tea. You just, uh, <laughs> what was it? It was just uh, a, um, overwhelming it was a little to bit too here. much, yeah. yeah. And to sort of just needed to be normal and take the massive spanks off, you know, the big pants. <laughs> just calm down. Because, you know, there's suddenly a sea of people that you don't know who are talking to you and asking you questions. Right. And I just wanted to be normal, just wanted Ed and a cup of tea let it sink in, you know.
0: And also, I, I believe this is correct, one of the things I came across in an article was that leaving the show, going home for your cup of tea, you had something happen that you'd never had happen before. Was there even paparazzi, like, going oh, after you? Outside my house, yeah. But even, wasn't it a car trailing you guys? Oh, that was a different... That A different, or that was the... That was when one? I was
2: shopping one day with the kids, and I was... The rage I felt. It's just weird. It's It's fucking weird, and... And I was with my children. Yeah. And someone came up to me and said, I think that car's following you. And, and I got my phone out and marched towards them. I took a photo and I, I sent it to everyone. Who the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. And, and they, they were so shocked that they backed into someone's fence and broke it and drove off. There was a woman driving it with too much makeup on. She looked cheap <laughs> and shit. And there was some other woman in the back under a black cloth taking photos. And it seems to
0: be a, <laughs> it seems to be a bigger problem... It's certainly an issue in the U.S., but it seems, going back to Princess Diana, it's like mm-hmm. a real... Why is it so bad in the U.K.?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I'm ashamed of them. It's awful. And as long as people are stupid enough to buy it, they'll still do it. So and that, that's why I don't go out. I stay at home, because those people are filth.
0: Mm-hmm. And that first encounter that you're describing was shortly after those the double BAFTA? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so after Broadchurch the suspicions of Mr. Witcher you're back with oh, Patty, Patty. Constein. Yeah. I mean it's interesting how you something clearly about you makes people want to keep working with you I mean whether it was originally the web and
2: Michelin web Michelin <laughs> web
0: and and then Patty and obviously there's mutual loyalty when you find something good why mess yeah. with it but it just doesn't happen as often mm-hmm. as you would think what was it with so now you know I guess just being back with Paddy again. This time he's acting though, not directing you. Right, acting opposite you. Any takeaway from from that aspect of it?
2: Yeah, it was weird, <laughs> and I remember, the poor director would give me a note, and I'd look at Paddy and check, is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> he went, I'm not, I'm not a director. Yeah, I, I find it really hard not to. Check that Paddy agreed.
0: (laughs) Right. And at that time, I guess one of the, maybe the hottest British show internationally would have been Downton Abbey. And I heard that being in a period costume piece yourself disabused you of the desire to do... (laughs) It's it's not as fun as it looks? Of course Right.
2: (laughs) No. Well, that, that period anyway. Yeah, it was cold. We were in the snow. So I was at least with those big skirts I could wear sort of three layers of tracksuit bottoms underneath and right. you know woolly socks and things but oh it's such an effort to <laughs> you know and to just go for a pee it's but just, it's so skirt and <laughs> But it didn't
0: turn you off so, so much that uh, I mean thankfully we're things that we're about to come to I, I oh, believe yeah. involved some may have involved some corsets and uh, yeah, dresses well less and what so I,
2: for me but yeah. I, I was mainly in a, a big nighty, which was very right.
0: like comfy <laughs> so a year after the double BAFTA another BAFTA for Broadchurch which I guess took a while it came out early in the cycle so it was a few months before that happened yeah. and then in terms of Films, I guess, uh, certainly an important one, because this would have been the beginning of Yorgos. slant at the most. How did you end up in one of the weirdest but best movies, I, I think, in recent years, The Lobster, as just the description of this is, is <laughs> hilarious. But and I, I saw it here at this film festival, New York Film Festival that we're at three years ago. You're playing a manager of a resort <laughs> to which people who are not romantically involved are sent. With a month to either get romantically involved or be turned into an animal. Yeah, I, I mean, when you
2: read this script, did you? What did you think? I can't remember my initial thoughts. I kind of loved it. See, it was nuts, <laughs> and I'd seen Dogtooth, right? Which is one of Yorgos's previous films in, in his mother tongue, in mm-hmm. Greek language, and I just can't forget that film. There's still so many images of mm-hmm. it, which doesn't happen with many films that it really stays with you. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely excited to read Lobster, and Loved it, and I loved that character, because she's a real badass. Yeah, <laughs> she's no. horrible. So I was really excited to play that. I loved Georgos as well. Yeah, like. I was
0: going to ask, like, what was it about him that stood out to you most? Because obviously you were willing to go back and do it again and, yeah. and with The Favourite, but why, I mean, if all you know about him are his movies, which is, for me and most people, I guess the case, you have to think he's got to be a really eccentric, <laughs> yeah. strange guy. No, Is that true?
2: No. no, he's he's a lovely, warm-hearted, intelligent, lovely gentleman, mm-hmm. and you know with a sort of great sense of humour. He finds everything funny, <laughs> but after lobster, I wasn't entirely sure that he was happy with what I'd done. I you know, really? Well, he sort of smiles and really smiles at everyone. You really. <laughs> he doesn't dish out the compliments, you know. And right. uh, so, I went, well, I had a lovely time and we'll see what happens. And then to find out, you know, favourite, he asked me back. I went, oh. oh, okay, well. Oh, okay. went well then. I didn't realise.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Well, I mean, I would think also might have, whether or not it meant that he liked it, the public liked it because you got Best Supporting Actress nomination for the London Film Critics Circle Award and won the British Independent Film Award for The Lobster, then going back to British TV with Rev, which oh, yeah. was, I guess, it seems like right about the same time. Has the, 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 there's a, the, I'm going to quote in a moment the, the f- moment where we basically see that you're playing this vicar's stoic, but secretly body wife who, at one point, I guess he sees that this Tom Hollander sees that you are checking out somebody else and so wants to find out, like, actually what your secret passions are. And you get into this whole thing of rattling them off. I thought it was one of the, the funniest. Well, it's, you remember the scene remember I'm talking that. about?
2: No. Sex in Go a on. lift
0: in public somewhere, being naughty when there are strangers around, dressing as a stripper, oh, yeah. as a prostitute, <laughs> and being picked up by someone famous, being serviced by two faceless men who are only interested in satisfying. I mean, it was just like
2: oh, she just reeled it off. <laughs> reeled it. Yeah, it was bit... That
0: was oh. great. there. There comes back oh, the, right, the comedy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a BAFTA nom for you and win for the comedy series there for that one. I mean, it, I think that it may have been around this point here that it started popping up in a lot of these profiles and interviews of you there, where I think British people were certainly realizing that you're in basically every TV show they loved for years. British TV seems like was ahead of American TV in terms of having high-quality programming. Like it, In the U.S. For, for years, it was looked down on as the lesser medium, Compared oh, to film, yeah. yeah. But, but you guys have, for decades, have done great stuff on TV. Why Do, do you well, have any sense nice why that you? is?
2: I suppose we didn't have the big film studios and things. We, we know made great films. Mm-hmm. But telly was an important medium, I think, mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, we only had four channels. Mm-hmm. So it was, if you've only got you know sort of a limited budget, and a lot of people watch it because we've only got yeah, four channels, let's yeah. pour as much as we can into it. So yeah. I assume. I'm probably not the no, best I person to that, ask. No, I think
0: that maybe. makes sense. But, I mean, certainly in the 21st century, how many of these shows that we've mentioned are, would be on lists of people's favourites, I think it's amazing. And I think that's just the
2: luck of the draw as well. And I've just probably got the same taste as many other people, so if I see the script, I like it. Right. It's the same programme that they're probably going to like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's plenty of programmes that other people love that I, I didn't, so I, you know.
0: We are now, in, in this country, I guess, really embracing the idea of the limited series, which for you guys, you call it a series, and then we're going to have a second series. We say season one, season two, you yeah. know, it just, I think there's a sense that it's got to go on forever. But I think one of the great things also about British TV is you know when to move on with your <laughs> lives. Like, or it's not
1: a we've run out of year. money, so. Yeah, run- <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: But I guess that, that leads nicely into one of the most acclaimed limited series of the last few years, that is The Night Manager, yeah. adapted of course, from John Correa. You're playing Angela Burr, the spymaster recruits Tom Hiddleston's Jonathan Pine, a former soldier to pursue Hugh Laurie's Richard Roper, a arms dealer. This was an adaptation, but with a big change. They are going to have your character be a woman instead of a man. Was that yeah. something that, you know, you were called in for a meeting and not knowing which part, or did you already realize that this was... But
2: that decision had already happened long yeah. before... They decided, oh, well, I think John le Carre wanted Burr to be a woman. Also, it's, it's reflects, you know, if they're going to update it, yeah, that reflects more, you know, modern time. And apparently there are more female spies than, than male, actually. Really? And it made sense. You can't, can't do that anymore, have three no, male no, leads. No. You really can't. And so, you know, all credit to them for changing it. And also, I turned up and uh, was pregnant. (laughs)
0: Well, I do want (laughs) to dive into that because that's unbelievable. But the the way that that all unfolded, which I want to ask you about. But I just think people should also hear that something Lecrae's son said, which was, quote, when he met Olivia and saw her on screen, his immediate reaction was that Burr should never have been a man, close quote. I mean, that's quite high praise from when, you know, he's generally not somebody that likes people messing with his work when it's been adapted as, as I understand it. And obviously he had to believe in, you know,
2: well, he, he was involved with the adaptation. No, that's what I so mean.
0: So to make the change and nice. then have him be that happy is pretty, pretty great. But for you, let's talk about this pregnancy aspect, because I mean, how do you remember the amount of time that unfolds in the course of the night manager, how much time passes? Cause I think it's more than nine months, right?
2: Yes, well, there's meant to be a bit where I, you can't see my belly because I'm meant to be not be pregnant, but I'm wearing massive jumpers. Right, right. And then, actually, I think it's a fairly short period, but they just travel a lot, so it looks like this more time than that. But I mean elapsed, to but,
0: talk about high praise that, or the, you know, the high regard that they wanted to work with you, that they would so much that not only does it not matter that you're pregnant but I can be pregnant for you 12, can be months. Pregnant for 12 <laughs> months or whatever
2: I, yeah I think because that was a concern but I think the story is actually meant to be quite condensed yes but it just yeah it looks like it's going on forever
0: and the experience of that one with Hugh Laurie has been considered for years one of the best guys on TV and also in other media mm-hmm. and Nelson you you three must have had a pretty intense experience there
2: oh, we had so much fun it's so important to have fun you know we're not saving lives we're really lucky we're very very lucky to do the job we do and I like it when people realize that you know yeah. so and we all did and Hugh is so much fun and what a loving man and what a hero of, of mine as well to, mm-hmm. to work with him it's great
0: and just to keep the tally going here Best Sporting Actress Golden Globe <laughs> win nomination for the Emmy for Best Sporting Actress Unlimited series or TV movie so people again I this is not just to drop random facts, I think it's kind of to convey that how the industry was increasingly appreciating your work. Incrementally along the way to The Favourite was working with Phoebe while again yeah. with Fleabag. Yeah. And then we come to, I guess, this call of Yorgo. How did you hear that The Favourite existed and and he wanted you?
2: I think he'd mentioned, there's a film, you know, about these three women in, women in the court of Queen Anne. He'd talked about it, I think, earlier and then it was going to go but then I was doing broad church so I couldn't do both things
0: because it does go back I was looking the first reports that you were going to do this are September 2015 that's like around the time of the
2: lobster yes that's right so what took them so long I guess everybody's busy (laughs) I think everyone was busy and finding the right blend right yeah I'm not sure well I've ruined it a bit by uh, not being available and so I'm so (laughs) very grateful that they they hadn't quite sorted it out, so I was right. able to ju- you know, to do it later. I'd have been so upset if someone else had done it. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so just to, you know, for people who haven't yet had the chance to see the favorite, which is going to be rolling out over the next few months, and I guess the original, the world premiere was Venice. Yes. I saw it in Telluride, and now again here in New York Film Festival. You're playing England's ailing 18th century Queen Anne, whose confidence and affections. Are being sought up by two cousins, Sarah Churchill, played by Rachel Weiss, and Abigail Mashon, played by Emma Stone. They are fighting over you in just hilarious ways. And I guess at one point it was before Rachel came on board, they were, there was some talk it was going to be Kate Winslet. Do you That's remember right. that? Yes, yes. So I guess just over the course, because it took a while to come together, that, yeah. that changed. Once it did get going, though, or once, you know, you knew that you were at least going to be involved, was there anything that you thought you should do or Yorgo suggested you do to prep here to, I guess, beyond the script you did you need to learn anything about this character? I had to
2: put on a lot of weight for it, so that was quite fun. <laughs>
0: How much, like, why, why was it just because she was a She was a big very mom. big
2: and he, he wanted, you know, wanted to yeah. see that on camera because a fat suit doesn't really, it doesn't and he didn't really want to have to use prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I spent a few months eating, <laughs> 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 which is quite enjoyable, but then became quite depressing because it goes on so easily. Right. Uh, you think, oh, it did doesn't you, come off as easily.
0: Did you keep count? Like, what did, how much did you have to put on?
2: Oh, I, I ended up putting on about two and a half stone. So, that in pounds is mm-hmm. 35.
0: Wow. Ish. Is that right? Wow. What was the technique for doing that? Was there oh, one no one particular uh, meal <laughs> of choice? Whatever
2: you want, all the time,
0: <laughs> and three, three lots of each thing. That's a good uh, good job. I heard something about dance videos. Did he
2: send you dance oh, yes, videos? Yes, he did. He had a choreographer friend, and because he loves movement and, and he has a theatrical background. So he, he sent us all sorts of references and, and old comedies as well, so The Odd Couple and Bringing Up Baby... I'm not entirely sure why for some of them, yeah, but it, but
0: it was helpful.
2: Just it was love. It was nice to watch nice them to all. Do, yeah. and he must have he must have had something in his mind.
0: <laughs> a minute ago, we were talking about that it would have been problematic for a show to have three main characters and none of them be a woman. It's extremely rare to have uh, a film where all three main characters are women. Have you ever had something like that yourself? And also, what was it like to have that with? Emma and Rachel. I mean, it seems like does it change the experience markedly to be primarily working acting opposite other women?
2: No, oh, I think it's. I mean, it's about bloody time, isn't it? I mean, you know, we've had bridesmaids and Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and lots. It's lovely to work opposite some, you know, someone who's good, mm-hmm. and they are both brilliant, and so we had a lovely time. And and just three women together was really supportive and lovely.
0: Was there a scene or moment or something with each of them that most impressed you where you saw that they them. were Yeah, where you're maybe acting opposite them in one scene where they just, you saw why they are as regarded as highly as they are. I don't think
2: I can pick one moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had rehearsal time together as well, which is, un, is unusual. How long rehearsal? Two two or three weeks, I think we had, of being together every day and, and playing and yeah. mucking about and m- making fools of ourselves in front of each other.
0: <laughs> which I guess for the
2: level of intimacy that this... Required, really probably necessary. was helpful. Yeah, 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 yes, so that you turn up knowing each other very well yeah. and not embarrassed in front of each other. Right. But I can't think of a particular moment. I just, I knew their both of them, their work, mm-hmm. and I felt it was a privilege every day to work with them. You know, they were, yeah. Can't think of one moment. For every you, day was great. For <laughs>
0: you, the moment that a lot of people have, there are any number of moments where, I think it's it's very striking. We see that the character kind of can turn on a dime of we and we learn layers peel back over the course when we see like I think the when we find out why the bunnies exist I mean was there for an audience member I can list any number maybe towards the end where the way you you play it when somebody is trying to get back in your good great your character's good graces the way that that scene is handled I guess for you was there one scene that heading into it you found you know, this might be the most challenging.
2: I think any of the sex scenes I was going to find very difficult. <laughs> I just thought I find it embarrassing. Yeah.
0: You know? There was not actual nudity on no. your part. It's just the fact that it, it's Well, so... I said I
2: absolutely won't. Yeah. There's no way.
0: Did he, try, did he ask?
2: Well, I think, you know, he said it would be great if everybody was able to... I went, no. I said, right, <laughs> well, then I suppose no one is then because there's one sort of you know, yeah. tantalising bosom. <laughs> but, but yes, on the whole it's sort of all or nothing I suppose and I don't want to well, you, you
0: you'd, you'd had your fell of that with no. the one that we will not discuss <laughs> so I want to ask you about the reaction to the film at the festivals that I mentioned and I think you've been there for each one of these big rollouts and people have responded so well to the film but specifically to your performance I think that they again we. it seems like each one of these times I've said it it's getting repetitive but like it takes the bar to a different level people just I think have a, a greater appreciation than ever before for you and your work what has it been like to see the response to this
2: well it's, you know, it's lovely mm-hmm. <laughs> if people like what you do there's there's nothing nicer in the world also if they like something that that you like so I loved making the film I think the film is beautiful I think Yorgos is genuinely an auteur proper genius Mm -hmm. that word is used a lot Mm -hmm. and it really does apply to him he would he'd be mortified (laughs) so again it's a little bit like the Trinosaur thing for me so if people don't like it I don't like them (laughs) well well, I think we sort of we have very different tastes and right right. what what would we talk about
0: right (laughs) well I'll say I think it can grow on people with multiple viewings even if you liked it the first time I think the second time I saw so many things that see, I missed I? Yeah. The, but I guess with the, the last two questions I, I just first one is now again there's more eyeballs on you and aware of you than ever before and you have just made me feel very nervous <laughs> is it yeah I mean but you have also now just signed up for something recently that is going to maybe even increase that more you if people haven't heard are succeeding Claire Foy, who just won an Emmy for The Crown, as another queen, QE2, in The Crown for Netflix. This is the biggest budgeted TV series ever. It's a huge thing, and it's been so well-received for these first two seasons. Now the story moves to the 60s, 70s, maybe eight. I don't know. What is it like for you to be stepping into that operation?
2: Yeah, I'm trying not to think about it too much.
0: (laughs) How far along Um, are you with it right now? I
2: think we're about 10 or 12 weeks in. I'm just, you know, doing it as a as a job, I love it. Again, I I love my job. Mm-hmm. I get to work with other actors. I really like other actors. I'm working with amazing people, and I was such an enormous fan of The Crown, and watching it and watching Claire, Claire was amazing. And you I've were just watching it before you had any idea before, that, yeah. that yeah, I was, you know, doing what everyone else was doing, right? Was sort of binge watching it. So that was, uh, you know, when the, when the call came for that, it was a. Very uncool. Yes, please. Straight away. <laughs> Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Without really considering joining something which is so successful is a bit of a pressure because what if you're the one that fucks it up? <laughs> but, you know, I, I know I'm going to be employed for two years, which is a very nice feeling. Yes. You know, I've got dependents and a mortgage to pay and <laughs> bills to pay. And so and a mortgage to pay off would be nice. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, so, so taking work is, you know, not an imposition to not take work. And so this is a, a great job. And why would you not?
0: No, everybody's <laughs> very excited to, that, that you got it and to see you in it. And I wonder if you <laughs> you got to keep your queen straight at this point now. That you're, but, yeah,
2: yeah. I mustn't get them muddled. <laughs> right.
0: But the last question is just, do you see any thread that runs through all or, or most of these parts that you've gravitated towards or that have come to you? Is there any rhyme or reason to a career, especially now in the we've been going through it all in a compact you know period of time here? Do you see anything that... Like, what is a Olivia Coleman part, screen persona, anything like that, that, you know, mm. as you think about the career at large?
2: Oh, I don't know. I think I had an instant liking for each of the parts as I read them. And that I liked them all to be a bit different. So if something comes up and I, it feels very much like it's, I've done it before, it's less appealing to me. And that does happen as soon as you've done something, then lots, yeah. you know, you suddenly get... Four scripts uh, right. of you being a spy. Go, yeah, wow! Well, um, <laughs> and you know, if they're if they're great, then you, you want to do it. But um, I, I, li- I like to try and do something different each time because that's why I became an actor because I want to play different things. And right. but I don't, I don't know, I just like them.
0: That's great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this. You're, Thank-
2: you're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks very
0: much for tuning in to Awards Chatter.